This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. If they expect me to walk away from Luton with nothing... I'll make very sure there's nothing to walk away from. Welcome back to the Oak Roads Hatter podcast. I'm Billy Mully. Today, joined by Jamie Castle and Kieran Robertson as we review the latest Premier League fixture, a 2-1 loss to West Ham United. We're also going to look at the latest news concerning the Hatters because, of course, on Friday, as well as the fixture, it was transfer deadline day. There was a lot of movement from a Liverpool perspective. So we'll dissect all of that whilst also taking a look at that said West Ham game. Jamie, how are you getting on today? Not too bad. It's it's nice for the sun to have finally made a reappearance, sort of cling on to the last last week or two of summer. And um, it's timed it well. I'm playing an 11 aside 90 minute game of football tomorrow for, for like this charity work thing. So um, it's nice that it's not going to rain, but it's going to be sweating buckets. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's timed it well. Yeah, it is boiling. Kieran, what about yourself? Absolutely sweating me bollocks off, lads, not going to lie to you. Uh, for a big man like myself, it, it hits me more than it should. Um, but aside from that, I, I called a bit of September sun. I knew it was probably going to be global warming is taking its toll and all that. But apart from that, lads, not too bad, not too shabby over here in old Swindon. I didn't know the sun reached Swindon. <laughs> yeah, Wi-Fi. you could be deceived, mate. Well, we'll start with the West Ham game. We'll go through our too good and too bad segment. Uh, starting with JP Walker over on Twitter. He said too good was XG and Dowerty. Uh, Jamie, coming to you first. We we won unexpected goals. Where, where's our three points? Yeah, and probably should have won by a bit more if we got the penalty because that would have added, what, 0.79 XG for penalty onto that. So, yeah, we, we should have come away with something for sure. But no, um, it was good for us to, to be on the right end of chances. I think after two tough games, Brighton and Chelsea, we weren't we were never going to win the XG battle in that one. Um, so, yeah, we didn't get the result. Obviously, XG just doesn't mean anything at the end of the day because it's still zero points, but it shows progress. That's positive. And, yeah, I thought Dowdy was excellent. So, yeah, I think definitely two two massive positives from the game yeah as you say xg um it shows you one part of the story but when a team go one they up relatively early um and score a second and naturally a lot of pressure will be thrown so i think it's quite difficult to, to read into xg and take too much away mm. from that but 
good to see that we were creating chances. I still think we should be creating more, uh, but, but ultimately it's good to see that we do have players within the side that are going to take that, that role of creativity. Um, and JP Walker, his second part of that was Alfie Doughty, Kieran. Um, played on the right. He was very good. Um, I, we, we were speaking about Alfie Doughty at the start of the season and we, we mentioned that, you know, the world is his oyster. There could potentially be a spot in England in, in years to come for, for Alfie Doughty. And the way he started this season, both from the bench and um, in this game against Gillingham as well, he showed his class. It's exciting to see. It's exciting to see Doughty in the Premier League and, and thriving already. It does, because I think the difference between Giles and Cabore is they're both players, obviously, we brought in this season. And Doughty almost feels like one of our own in that respect. No offence to Giles and Cabore, because they are now. But Doughty come with us in that promotion year, right? And just like... Eli, just like Morris, just like any of those players who have got us up to this level, we want to see them do really well and we want to want them to prove that they can play at this level. And I know we were chatting in the pub beforehand, sort of like, we want to see Doughty start. He's probably going to start ahead of Kabore. I want to see him start on the left now. I feel like that's the next, all right, cool. We know you're a really good right wing back, but I want to see him play on his favoured side and see just how bloody good he is. Because if he can play that well on the right and be as effective as he was, him and Reese Burke have a really, really good partnership defensively. I want to see that on the other side. I want to see what he can offer Amari Bell in terms of defensive cover. And going on to JP Walker's too bad, it was VAR slash officiating and, and Ross Barkley. Um, I think we can all agree on VAR and officiating. Um, insert picture of that. James Ward-Prowse handball right in the dying seconds. Uh, but Ross Barkley is an interesting topic of discussion. Um, his name's been plastered all over Twitter. Um, varying different opinions about um, versus performance. And then there, there's parts of the Luton crowd speaking about um, not clapping the fans. Do you read much into that, Jamie? Do you read not, not clapping the fans at this stage? No, not really. I think, obviously, ideally, we would love them to show the respect to us. Like, of course, any fan wants that. But I think it's probably a bit overkill at the stage. Um, he's a player that has played at the highest level. He's played for England. He's played for, for Chelsea. He's played in, in, in Liga for a season as well. And he, he don't, he, I assume he hates losing. So, OK, yeah, he should get it, get into the team's sort of like philosophy and clap the fans at the end of the game. I get that because it's just respectful. But I think it's a bit overkill to, to look at it too, too deeply. Um, He's just probably just stormed off in a bit of a sort of not angry state, but a, an upset state because he because he wants to win and get three points, which I've, which we all do. And I think that sort of overshadowed his performance a little bit. I think a lot a lot of fans have used that and applied it to actually he didn't play well anyway. So it, maybe he can be bunched going forwards. But I, I know we're going to break down Barkley's performance later on in the pod. But I actually thought he was pretty good for someone that. Is probably still rusty, not fully match fit, and getting into the tactical sort of um, plan that Rob Edwards wants wants to play. I think he's he's done absolutely fine. And Kieran going on to David LTFC, he's too good. Also, he mentioned Alfie Doherty took to Premier League football like a duck to water, and his second good aspect of the game was that Reese Burke continues to show his class, and it's been impressive the way that. Reese Burke has adapted to Premier League football, especially when there was on the opening day there was a slight question about Mads Anderson and and playing in that right sided centre back role. The fact that the more mobile centre back in Burke has come and put in two very good performances against very good opposition that that only bodes well for the rest of the season. It does, and quite frankly, he is an absolute Rolls Royce. He's a monster and. I said after the Chelsea game, like he was by far the best player on the pitch at that night, despite conceding three. And he proved again, like against West Ham, just exactly why he was the best player on the pitch, probably again, quite frankly. Um, so much more to offer as well. So young. And I think at the moment, the way he's playing, he's playing incredibly well. But I still feel like he's still got a ceiling to push through. Like he's only just on the cusp of what he can actually offer. 
And I think there is only a little element of him just coming back from injury. And yeah, he's putting in 90 minutes here and 90 minutes there. And that's all fun and games. That confidence is only going to grow, grow and grow. And like I said, I described him then as a monster. Like we've seen him in the championship. We know what he's capable of. We know he loves to drive forward sometimes. He can score a goal. He's a great aerial threat from corners. Got on a few event, few of the end of some corners um, in the West Ham game as well. So to be honest, sky's the limit for him in this league. And just rounding off David's tweet, his two bad aspects of the game was too many loose passes once again and too nervous in the key thirds of the pitch. And I think that comes back to sort of an earlier comment that that we could be creating more when we get into good positions. I think that's something that will naturally come once we settle in as a squad and, and continue to adapt to Premier League football. The last tweet we'll talk about today is from LTFC Talk. He has put that he felt that we competed more rather than being on the back foot, which I fully agree with. And the subs came on and made a difference. Um, yeah, Pelly Ruddock came on or Benny came on. Um, both, I think, changed the course of the game. I'm trying to cast my mind back who else came on. Um, Brown did as well. Um, yeah, Brown, of course. Yeah, Borway did came on for... But for Giles to start with before they switched out he's to the left. Um yeah. Yeah, every sub impacted. And I think, yeah, I think tactically there's still the new players bedding in. I think I was thinking about it earlier. I think there was five new signings in the starting eleven. You had what Mads, Giles, Barkley, Chong, and Kaminsky in the starting eleven. So five out five out of eleven were, were new signings. So that's gonna have some some tactical sort of um rushiness to it. Um, so no, everyone that started and everyone that, that came on had had some some sort of impact. And then finishing it all off, LTFC talked two bad aspects where it felt like we were scared to really get after them. Too many nervous passes. And yeah, I think within that, felt like we were scared to really get after them. Um, I think that's a respect thing. I think we gave them a lot of respect, especially considering the noise inside of Kenworth Road at the start of the game. I think the fact that we let them play around with the ball and we, we didn't really go after them like we have other teams when Kenworth Road has been a real fortress. I think that was, um, it didn't quiet the crowd, but I don't think we we built on it from, from that point. Of course, there was points in the game where, where we were a lot louder, but I think those sort of open exchanges, it, it made it quite difficult. Um and then his last bad aspect was conceding another goal from a back post cross. We'll go to the goals in a minute. We'll, we'll go to our kind of feelings about the goals, key instance, and, and a few player performances. So we'll, we'll start off, Jamie, with that first goal. Jared Bowen opening the scoring. The two players, the two West Ham players that got stick were the ones that scored. It's... Um, infuriating and when it happens like that uh but jared bowen he snuck in between amari bell and ryan giles not the first time that, that a player has snuck in between those two disappointing that a mistake that would have been worked on um on the training ground has, has resurfaced yeah like so frustrating um and to that point we were competing really well and you didn't as much as West Ham were having territory and having lots of the ball, they didn't really create too much. They had a few sort of outside the box shots over the bar from like from Ben Rama and wide, but didn't really create anything that was like clear, clear cut. Um, so yeah, the fact that Paquetta had space first of all, sort of thirty-five yards to the left of the box out out wide, she can just chip it in fairly easily to the back post was was frustrating as as one. So yeah, not not only pointing the finger at better than Giles, but also at those eights, and I think coming on to or going back to sorry the one of the one of the bad points from LTFC talk where um, in in terms of that given respect, I think it's not just respect. I think it's I think it's tactical as well. I think I was, I was watching the game back, and in the first five minutes, Chong I think was pushing out to Ward Prowse in the press, and he was pointing to Giles just to get up to to to, to, to Kufau because Giles was sat way way too far back off Kufau when he had to just get up to him. Kufau had so much space on the ball. Um, so it's similar in that in that respect for the first goal with Paqueta. Barkley comes across but didn't really fully press, and it, that that's just really frustrating. That it allows him to get the to get the ball in freely, 
And then on the back post, uh, Bell was occupied by Antonio because Antonio sort of pulled off Anderson and occupied Bell, which then allowed Bowen to get behind Bell. But then Giles just needs to pick him up. And you guess it's just, again, time and time again, I think Rob's mentioned just concentrating for 100 minutes, well, 9,500 minutes of, of a game. And all it takes is two seconds of concentration to be lost. And suddenly Jared Bowen gets in and gets a header in front of Giles. And there's no way we should be letting Jared Bowen get a header. I mean, he's a fantastic player, but with his feet, he's not he's not exactly well known to, to score a lot of headers, is he? So... Yeah, it's it's not really a goal you want to concede. If if Bowen was to score a twenty five yard screen, where you think, yeah, fair play, hands up. But a header at the back post is um, to an extent unforgivable. And I think if this, if that was an eight point, it would be unforgivable. But we'll, we'll, we'll let them off, given it's only game three. Um, but yeah, we, we we do need to learn quick, otherwise it's going to be um, a real struggle to get points. And Kieran, Jamie mentioned there a goal you don't want to concede. Let's speak about another goal you don't want to concede. You don't want to concede from headers, uh, from corners, sorry, do you? You don't ever want to concede from set pieces. And that's what we did in the second half when Kurt Zuma got his head to a James Ward-Prowse uh, corner. Um, we've seen it a lot. We've seen James Ward-Prowse deliver magic into the box, but it did look very, very simple. It did. And Ward Prowse is one of those where, like you said, you give him a ball from a dead ball scenario, whether it's a free kick or a corner, you can make something out happen out of nothing. But the trouble is, is when you've got a player like that standing over a corner, at least do yourself a favour and don't let a player like Kurt Zuma just wander around the box like as a free man. It was at the time I remember Ward Prowse stood over the corner and I went, it would be just our luck that we can see here. And then I just saw Zuma run across the box with no one tracking him. And I thought, oh, fuck me. There you go then. Lo and behold, it's the post and goes in and you're like, immensely, you're like, there you go. That's it. Like, especially at 2-0 against a team like West Ham, a team who don't like the ball, you you think you're fucked. Um, until that point, I actually thought we started the second half really well. And I thought that there was going to be because I think the subs had literally just come on as well and they'd made a couple of chances and you're thinking, right, here we go. We're going to get something. And then you give away a cheap goal like that and you're thinking, great, there's the mountain to climb. And yeah, we got a goal back in the end and yeah, we should have had another one and we'll get onto that in a minute. Um, it's the same as the first goal. It's cheap defending and it's frustrating because you work hard or you feel like you've worked hard to get to a point where you're back in the game, you're pushing chances, you're creating something. And then one lapse of concentration, bang, 2-0, just like that. Yeah, it's just those fine margins as well. Right? I think was it a minute before Eli, well, officially put it over the bar, but yeah, I think it was a corner and, and we we probably should have got the corner and gone from there. But Eli had the chance and then they got the other end, get the corner, get the goal. And you think, it's just, it's just. Lit- I was thinking right then, this league is brutal. And, and we knew it, we knew it would be. And I think there's no surprise that it, that it, it, it that it would be brutal, but just it's such a simple goal to concede, and your head just dropped as a as a fan in the ground. And I'm sure there were many of the heads just dropped, thinking because we were we were on top. And I think there was if there was going to be a goal in the game, it was going to be us. And then suddenly they get a set piece. Um, so yeah, for all for all the complaining that we have done and will do about the VAR in the next 10, 15 minutes, it still we we still shouldn't get to that position in the first place. It was interesting because Ward Prowse, his deliveries, we know they have a lot of quality attached to them. But I think Colton Morris and Eli had dealt with them very well. That it, it completely eliminated the threat he had up until that point, of course. And when you let the Premier League Sorba Thomas do that, that's what happens. That is what happens. And um, yeah, 2-0 down, very difficult to come back. But we did. We did half the deficit. Mads Anderson scoring in the second minute stoppage time. His first Premier League goal, his first Luton Town goal. Um, Colton Morris directing his header back into, into the danger area. Intelligent from him. Anderson with a good bit of placement. Um, and, and then I guess the question would be, what, what, what did you make of the goal? Um, did you see it coming? Did you think after that there was going to be time to really mount a serious attack? and and draw that game yeah you take confidence from even at 2-0 down the players giving it the rule for the full 95 minutes because it could have been quite easy to be like ah 
all right, lads, sorry, we've lost this one now and just sort of dropped the heads. But they but they still fought. They got the, they got the goal, which the performance definitely deserved a goal. And I've said two minutes before, I think, it, I can't remember who it was, actually, I'm not sure who it was, I think it might be Danny Ings was was running for one goal and I thought, please, please don't score. It's, it's not a 3-0 game. It wasn't even a 2-0 game. So it, it was nice to, to get a goal back at least and actually make it look like it was a, a decent game or make, make it look like a game that it actually was. And we were definitely in the game throughout. Um, for them, probably a bit of a soft goal. Um, but we put Mads up top and he, he managed to get in between Agurd and, and uh, Zuma. So no, it was, it was a good goal for him. And in terms of him as a performance, I thought first half was, was a bit nervous. I think he, he needed needed to get his head into the game. I think he made he made a couple of mistakes, and you can tell, you could tell he was very frustrated with himself. Um, but second half he was much better, and um, it was a, a promising second forty five performance from Anderson. Let's go on to that dreaded penalty incident that gets worse and worse every time I watch it, but. Ultimately, at the time, I thought nothing of it. I heard a few um, complaints within the within the Luton end for what you're really talking about. Watched it back probably over a hundred times last few days, and it doesn't get any better, does it? No, and I saw it clear as day at the time, and then also thought after that, Kudus it kind of hits his sort of lower stomach and I thought that again was another one and at that point I was screaming and I've sort of had about three days where I thought eventually I'm going to get over it and eventually I'm going to digest it and then it's just it ain't going away because the thing that sticks out to me is firstly don't get Mike Dean given analysis on a handball when he's the same bell end that's telling us that, oh, I helped out Anthony Taylor because he's my mate the other week. Fucking bore off for a start. Invalid opinion. We're not having that. So discard that. Secondly, they've kind of shot themselves in the foot, right? A bit more of a serious analysis. They've shot themselves in the foot with the way that they've done the handball rule. And they've sort of said, like, look, if it's under the elbow, any contact, it's a penalty. You look back to the penalty that we got at Brighton. Lewis Dunk's got his back to the ball. It still hits him here. It still gets given. He has no idea that's hitting him because he's, he's got his back to the ball. He's not even looking and the ref still gave it. It went to VAR and they still gave it. Ward Prowse is looking up to the sky and that ball is coming right at him and it hits his arm. The ref is looking right at it and for some reason, he doesn't give it. That is then VAR's job as a clear and obvious error to look at that and go, actually, mate, you need to review that. How between five officials then, between the ref and VAR, they've all concluded, you know what, that isn't a handball and that's not worthy of a penalty, is absolutely beyond me. And it is shocking. And that is the one thing that I cannot digest, is the second it goes to analysis, it's the only thing they can talk about because we've been robbed. When West Ham fans are saying it should have been a penalty, when Neville and Carragher straight after the game are saying it's a penalty... Funnily enough, there's probably a fundamental problem in your decision-making. And then Mike Dean's not helping himself by saying, well, the re- whatever decision is made on the pitch is the right decision. Well, that's not really true, is it? Because if that was true, what's the fucking point in having VAR? The whole point of VAR is for clear and obvious errors. You've got a clear and obvious error that you've made. And lo and behold, we haven't had an apology yet from PG Mole or whoever's actually in charge of that to go, oh, Sorry, lads, it actually was the wrong decision, but there's nothing we can do about it now. Well, yeah, no shit, Sherlock, because you've not fucking done anything about it at the time. It is beyond me, because especially in a relegation fight, you need every point you can get, and that's cost us a point. And that's the first point on the board for us, or would have been. I think what infuriates me is that Gary Sweet and the team work their bollocks off for 13 weeks, spend above ten million pounds just to install a bloody TV screen next next to the dugout and the VAR can't be like, no, Paul Tierney, I'm not fully sure. It's probably worth it. have a have a quick five second check. Just, uh, just have a look yourself. Like at the end of the day, if if he would have sent the ref to the screen and Paul Tierney would have been like, you know what, hits his hands, it is unnatural, but he can't really do much about it. I'd have been like you know what? Fair enough. Because yeah, okay, that Kieran's right. They've shot themselves in the foot with, with the way the rule is. But I think for me, 
I disagree with the I disagree with the rule. So therefore, I don't want to see them given this handball because it's unfortunate. But fundamentally, all I want as a fan is consistency. The lowest dunk penalty again should ne- never be a penalty in a million years. That's just that's just not handball, but it's given. And the same thing with with Ward Prowse. So the the, the the effort that the club have gone to to meet Premier League standards and they can't do a simple thing to send Paul Tierney to a TV screen and have a look for themselves. That's just infuriating because after the Anderson goal, you just think all all that we've built up came with a throw to be and the special nights that we have under the lights, you just think that's the moment where the world just sees a last minute equaliser, the ground, roof, the roof goes off and then all they're talking about at the end, Gary Neville and Carragher says, you know what, lads, this is a cauldron. And it, when it gets rocking, it's loud. And Luton are going to have a good chance to stand up this season. But instead, they're like, you know what, West Ham, fairly comfortable, really. Okay, Luton did did have a few chances, but 2-1 win. West Ham are looking good. Luton, they're going to struggle. And just how one action and narrative changed so much and I don't want to care about what the outside world thinks of Luton Town because ultimately all that matters is a what the club think and what the fans think but in your head you just just want to just have a have a nugget just to shut everyone up and that that was the moment and it just yeah it's it's just frustrating. I think that's what sort of aided my frustration in the last few days especially when watching the rest of the game week as well is just the lack of consistency around decisions, the amount of times that you see a decision given. So again, that dunk handball, and I agree with Jamie, like I wouldn't want that rule to be a thing, but that's the way that they've set it. So if that is the rule that you have set in place, then you must follow through at every opportunity. That dunk handball should not have been given in a real world scenario, but it was. So if that's given and something more obvious as the Ward-Prowse one happens and you don't give it, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. I've been calling for refs for months, it feels like, even before this incident. They need to be mic'd up. They're mic'd up to each other. They're not mic'd up to us. During a VAR decision, I would like to know, whether they give the decision or not, why you are giving the decision. You are less likely to get shit off of other people if you just sit there, hold yourself accountable to your decision and justify it. Like, Because there might be a reason that we as fans can't see or are not seeing because we've got our loot and tinted glasses on and we're just like, do you know what? That's a stonewall penalty. Or even like if it goes the other way, we want to know why it's been given regardless or why it's not being given. But by not having that opportunity or not having them in a post-match interview, it's all fun and games having a ref that's retired and is part of an old boys club giving you analysis because he's just going to say what you want to hear all the time. The referee making the decision hold them accountable to that decision and get them to tell us why you are making it. Justify the decision and you'll make a lot less enemies in that respect. As you can all probably um, have guessed, these two have been preparing those speeches all throughout today. Perfectly executed. Well done. We'll go on to Ross Barkley. We we mentioned him in association with, with the fan debate as to whether uh, people thought it was wrong that he didn't clap fans and, and all that saga. But we'll go on to his actual performance. Um, he created four big chances, which ranked him within the top five for this particular game week. It was an impressive display in parts. I think there's aspects of his game that still need to improve, but that is to be understood. He's been adapting to a style of play that he's not probably accustomed to at any point of his career. What did you make of it, Kieran? How do you think Barkley fared against West Ham and, and compare that to, to how we played in his first 90 minutes? Well, first start, sorry, against Chelsea the week, the week before. I mean... The general consensus at the moment is obviously everyone's a bit knocked off of him. They're all a little bit like, oh, Barkley didn't play well, la, 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 la. I didn't think he was, like, amazing. Like, he wasn't a standout by any means. Um, but then, obviously, the stats showed otherwise, right? So it just means I was watching the game through a different lens, perhaps. Because um, I thought Chong, for example, played a lot better. But then that's because he was pushing further forward. So, naturally, he's just a bit more involved which is probably where I was a bit like, oh, yeah, Chong had a masterclass. That was a bit of a stretch, but you get the gist. Um, but 
I also didn't think he played bad either. That that's the key thing. It's like, yeah, I, I get what people are trying to say with the whole not clapping us off thing. Like, fine, whatever. Like, have your opinions, but opinions are like ourselves. Everyone's got them, right? The fact of the matter is, don't use that opinion of him not clapping us at the end as a reason to say that he played terribly because that just isn't true. But that is a false narrative. Um, for me, he just shows the signs of a player who is growing into the team, right? That is physically and mentally. So physically from a tactical standpoint of he's getting to learn how we want to play, what Rob's expectations are of him. And also he's building up match fitness, right? Yeah, he's lasting 90 minutes, give or take, but he played, what, 70 the other day? Fine, came off for Pelly, and Pelly was a bit more of a live wire, but then that's fresh legs with a man that also knows how to play our system a little bit better, I'd say. So that's fine. But then from a mental standpoint, it's, oh, okay, he's starting to probably notice. He will have noticed after West Ham what Luton are about. And I'm sure that with all the Twitter discourse, like they're human beings, they use social media. He's going to have gone on and seen a lot of the crap that people have been saying about him. And he will take that on the chin probably and realise actually, do you know what? Like, because to them, that is a small gesture, but I can also appreciate to us as fans, that is a huge thing at least for some people, and that's fine. Like, for me, it's one of those, it is what it is kind of things. Like, I'm not going to be that upset about it realistically when I go home, do you know what I mean? But mm. I would also appreciate it a lot more if they did do those sorts of things. So, to play devil's advocate, I get it. Yeah, I guess on, on the clapping bit, I agree with Kieran. I'm not going to go into any more detail because, for me, it's not that deep. Like, it is what it is. I hope, I hope he does, but if he doesn't, then fine. I think the first bit I will expand more and I think I completely agree with Kieran. I think there's there's two ways of looking at football. You've got the eye test and then you've got like the stats test. Now from the eye test, from from the actual game that I watched through my eyes from the the, the Kenny ends, I thought Chong was excellent. Um I thought he was he was brave on the ball. He was always the first man out in, in the press from from the second phase of set pieces. I thought he was he was busy and he's he exactly what what I have come accustomed to it in a Rob Edwards number eight role. Barkley was, I thought he was okay. Again, solid six and a half out of 10, sort of not, not amazing, not not awful. But then if you look at the stats after the game, like there's a, a stat from the other 14, as you say, he was the joint highest chance creator from the other 14, the other 14 being the non-top six in the Premier League. Like last weekend, he created four chances. I think he was up there with, with with dribbles as well. So it shows he was very very creative and progressive in in what he was doing. And I think actually Chong's Chong stats in terms of what he did was fairly naff to be honest. I can't remember it any, any off the top of my head, but in terms of the chances created was sort of down there, barely anything. So it just shows how you've got the eye test and the actual stats test. And okay, obviously. You want both to be great rather than one or the other, but it just shows how sometimes what you're seeing doesn't actually quite marry up to the facts. So that's important. And I think fundamentally, the number eight role in a Rob Edwards system for me now is one of the most important in the team. Like I think a lot has been a lot has been said of the back three and wing backs, but I think the the the, the number eights are vital to, to the press. I think yeah, okay, you press from the front. You've got Eli and Morris that that press the centre halves, but if the number eights don't follow it up, it's almost not 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 worth doing it because that those number eights are so important. Secondly, in terms of going direct, you go direct to Carlton and Eli, but they're not they're not always going to have it and and let it stick. That you're going to need them to be on the second balls. So it's so important that Barkley and Tron gets up with the, the centre forwards, but when the ball, when the ball, ball goes into Eli and and, and Carlton. And then also, then on the ball, it's important that they create. So for those three things, it's so important in that, in that Edward system as number eights. And I think having two of them that are new is, I think, what's causing a few teething problems at the minute. Um, so, so whether we change the system a little bit so it helps them learn or whether we just persevere and know that at some point they'll come good. I'm not sure. That's obviously up to Rob and I'm sure we can debate it as fans. But I think, yeah, we just need to give them a bit, a bit of time. I think they're, they're both showing promising spells individually. Um, but I think it's just the tactical side of thing, and they just need to need to get get used to it a little bit more. And of course, that will only come with more game time. We're going to head into a short break. When we're back, we're going to look at the first three 
games as a collective and we're going to look at the latest news and what deadline day had in store for us. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. We are back for the second part of today's episode and we're going to take some time now to, to reflect on the opening three games of the season as a collective. Of course, it's three games, it's zero points. There's lots of harsh lessons that are to be learned, but... There are a lot of positives that we can take from what we've seen so far. So, Jamie, coming to you first, looking on an individual basis, what players do you think have adapted to, to Premier League football as you would have expected or, or potentially players that have surpassed expectations? That is a really good question. I think um, Kieran earlier with Reese back, I thought was, was, was good. I think he is looking like our most Premier League ready-made centre-half at the minute. Um Tom Lockyer has been good, so obviously he missed West Ham, but I think Brighton and Chelsea, where he's as good as you can ex- expect, really, for someone with no Premier League experience coming up to the league and playing against two of the best sides in the league. And you always have to have that caveat, right? We've just played Brighton, who ripped Newcastle apart and are in the Europa League. You've got Chelsea, who okay, are showing inconsistencies. As I said pre-Chelsea, they're going to be inconsistent lost to Forest. It was unfortunate that they were good against us and weren't so good against Forest. That doesn't mean that we're bad and, and Forest are good. It's just football, right? So we came up against the Chelsea side that were playing good football all the night. And then West Ham, who probably pre-season were underrated. I think, to be fair, was, was worthy of being underrated given that they had just sold Rice and not actually spent the money on it on anyone else. But now they've replaced him with three fantastic players. Um... So on paper, it's a really tough start. And I think we'll look back on the West Ham game at the end of the season and think, yeah, that they're, they're top top eight, that, that was a tough fixture. To get three points from that would have been really difficult. Um, so, yeah, overall, I think everyone's done okay. I think Giles probably is the one that's been a bit disappointing so far. Um, but again, I think, I, can't, I keep, keep saying it on this pod, it seems a bit more tactically than anything else in terms of ability. I don't think he's not good enough. I just think he just he's taken a bit more time to get to a get up, up get up to speed with the level, and b get up to speed with Edwards and his, and his tactical setup because um, it's very different to Michael Carrick's setup at Borough last season, right? So I think it just takes time. Um, so it's really I, I really, really don't want to cast like proper judgments after three games. Um, I think overall everyone's just done okay, and I think they're still learning, and and, and that's absolutely okay to to still be learning. I think. Everett is right, we've shown progress in all three games. Um and if if football was, was fair, we'd we, we would have a point on the board. Um but that's football, right? And that's why we we love to hate and hate to love it. Kieran, what about you? Are there any other players, you know, Colton Morris, has he adapted to Premier League life as you would have liked? Um Eli as well, there are question marks as to whether people thought he would be able to emerge as a Premier League level footballer, what have you made of those sort of existing players in our squad from the Championship season transitioning into the Premier League? There's none of them so far where I look at and go, oh my God, you've not made the jump very well. Um, And I know that that's quite easy to say after three games, right? But I think most surprising for me has been Eli. Like he was the one that sort of a few pods before the season started. Like I vocally had question marks over him and his ability to then take that next step. So far, so good though. And actually surpassing expectation. Like against West Ham, he was a fucking handful. Like he was an absolute nuisance. Whether that was on the ball, with his head, 
bullying players. And I was I was actually surprised he got taken off. I was surprised that Morris didn't go in his place. And I mean, if Morris went off, we probably wouldn't have had our goal, right? But at the end of the day, it was one of those, I was like, oh, wow, I actually thought Eli justified the 90 minutes. Um, in terms of our points total, it's one of those I look at and I'm I'm quite calm. Like I looked at the first three games and went, Do you know what? Yeah, we probably aren't going to win any of them. Um, and we always said, like, you look at September now, obviously excluding West Ham, you've got Fulham away, you've got Wolves at home, you've got Everton away. And someone said to me at work, they were like, right, you need to start picking up points now. I was like, we need a minimum of four out of nine there, if not six. And, or, well, four, five, six, right? It's one of those where it's it's paramount now. We're playing against the teams that are going to be in and around us in that bottom half if not that bottom five, right? And if we're not picking up points against those sorts of teams now, then yeah, come the end of September, will I be panicking? Not quite. Will I be a little bit shaky? Potentially. And I'll be a bit more nervous than I am now. But for the meantime, Brighton, I didn't expect to beat. Chelsea, I definitely didn't expect to beat. And West Ham, if you eliminate the dubious circumstances we would have lost the game 2-1 and I'd have walked away from that going, all right, we'd have beaten one another day, but fine, on paper, you'd have probably expected to lose that as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I think we look at the next three to five games, I think that's going to be a much um, better test to to really determine where we are at and, and how far we've progressed so far. Um, we'll We'll go on to a pundit that goes by the name of Garth Crooks. Jamie's smiling because he has got a lot to say about this man who has made some a ridiculous, ridiculous comment about Luton. Um Jamie, I'll let you I'll let you speak through his comment because I know you're you're passionate about what he said. I just I just don't get what gives him the right to just say that sort of shit, to be honest. Like, why is Garth Crooks even in the role that he's in? Like, what, what, what has he done in football like that warrants him to to think that, we've, that we'll be down by Christmas? And I'll, I'll let Kieran come on to dispelling that in a sec. But like, I've said it a few, a few times now, and obviously we're biased as content creators that follow a specific club. We're like, oh, that's good. That's going to us like that's, that's going to make us biased but it's about time these channels bbc sky sports do it a little bit like tnt like why don't you physically employ or pay for actual club specific views that actually add value to the public knowledge like i guess i just don't get why you would get golf crooks to put to put a judgment out about Luton Town when he knows absolutely nothing about our circumstances. He might have read a couple of news articles, but the comment for me just basically makes me assume that he's literally read nothing about us and he's taken the easy judgment and thought, oh, I'm being paid six figures for this. I'm, po- I'm probably getting paid five grand for this article alone. I'm going to copy and paste a few bits from other random pundits, put them together in this nice little one paragraph and then I'm, I'm being paid. Thanks for that. I'll, I'll go sit on the beach somewhere for the next week. Like, it's about time these channels start hiring a fan from each club for a game. Like, if you're on Sky Sports, on Gillette, like Danny Mills watching the Luton, Luton game against Gillingham in the Cup, get a Luton fan on there and talk through the game or get a Gillingham fan on there and talk through the game. Not some neutral who knows nothing about the game is being paid way too much money to make assumptions about teams. He said make eleven changes against against Gillingham. Oh, we're under pressure. We need to start getting start start getting wins. No, we don't. What what are you want about? Like if you were to get a Luton fan on there, if any one of us was to be on Gillette watching that 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 Gillingham game, we we would have added so much more value. To that to that program than Danny Mills did. I don't I don't care his football experiences. Like it's just about time they actually get some some better pundits in in the sport because otherwise just the football media is just going to go down the pan basically. And I I realise we haven't actually said the quote yet, and and it absolutely stinks of Premier League elitism that 
doesn't, as Jamie alludes to, doesn't understand that football as a construct exists under the the top six, the traditional top six. Um, you know, we, we were speaking before about the fairy tale that is Luton Town story and the fact that he can he sits there and says, I can't take Luton Town seriously and I see them down by Christmas. Not only factually incorrect, then I'll, I'll let Kieran um, bore you with the maths in a second, but I can't take Luton Town seriously after what we've had to endure as football fans, the absolute heights that we've hit. It's just ridiculous by nature. And yeah, Kieran, take it away with the maths to... to make Garth Crooks look that even bit more stupid. Right, Crooksy, you get paid a lot of money to spout your opinion across BBC or whatever other social media platform actually decides to give you time. But you lack this one thing, which is basic research. And I'm just going to sit down and shut you up pretty quickly. For us to be relegated by Christmas, the team in 17th, would have to be on 61 points, all right? 61, I'll let that sink in for just a second. Because not only would they have to be on 61 points, but they'd have to be on 61 points from a maximum point total that they could get at that point of 54. So, Garth, mate, (laughs) next time you want to spout some utter trash across BBC that is copy and pasted from just Twitter discourse because that's all the coverage is on Luton this season. It's just copy and paste. We're going down. They're shit. They're this. They're that. No one actually has their own opinion on us because they refuse to take five minutes to form their own. And it's fucking disrespectful. You would do this. You haven't shown Burnley the same level of disrespect. They're currently sat below us, right? Fine. They're the only team to do so. Everton and Sheffield United, both relegation fighters, both only on a point. So I don't really understand why we are this standout team or I don't really see a lot in Luton. Right. So you don't see a lot in the team that finished third in our highest ever championship finish last season, beat Sunderland and Coventry on the way to the Premier League, as well as being the best of the rest in the league quite comfortably as well, ahead of all your media darling stories for Borough, Coventry and Sunderland that you could try to form. Everyone and their nan did not want us to go up and it proves this season by the way that they're talking about us. Shearer did it with us against Brighton. Crooks is another example. We're going to get it all year. But the only thing that stands out for me is when we finish 17th from the end of this season, the silence will never, ever be so loud from all of this lot. And they will try their best to be like, oh yeah, fairy tale story. Luton has stayed in the Premier League. Fuck off. We will remember everything that you have ever said this season about us. We'll remember every single thing and we'll laugh in your face to the end of time, whether we go down next season or not. Show us some basic respect when our name comes out of our, your mouth. End of story. And at least do some fucking basic maths as well while you're here. Idiot. Fucking idiot. And Jamie, <laughs> in an attempt now to calm Kieran down, bring him back down to base level, we'll go on to some Luton Town related <laughs> news. We'll start with Sambi Lakonga, who arrives, who arrives, sorry, on a deadline day on loan from Arsenal, a player that has been compared to Yaya Torre. Very exciting comparison there. What have you made? Of his arrival, of course, I think it, it'll take a while for him to fully get up to speed through for injury and, and from a tactical perspective as well. What do you make of having a, another deeper lying midfield midfielder, sorry, as an option as we look to potentially uh, change things from a formational perspective? Um, I, I guess what I'm trying to hint at is that flexibility is probably the word that we'll associate with with having. Lukonga here. Yeah, it's exciting. I think, I guess to start with, on the actual signing of him, before we go into where he fits in, I think I've said countless times, one of my key loan criteria is someone that A, could and would be a starter in the eleven, and B, we would not be able to afford him permanently. He ticks both, both those boxes. There's no way we would have got him because he would have been 15, 20 million pounds on a permanent. So 
yeah, I think from a sign-in, it makes sense um, and is exciting. And I think he definitely could have the the level of impact that the camera had for us last season. I hope so. That that's that's a good positive. I'm I'm very very positive on on the signing on him as as a player and where, where it fits in. I don't think he's a single pivot DM, uh, and I think it was interesting seeing what Rob Edwards said in his quote in the article for announcing it, where it says it gives us the option to change to almost two holding midfielders. And I think we might go down that route. I think it would be good if we, what I call flip the triangle, where we've currently got one one holder and two eights. If we flip that triangle to two holders and one number 10 almost, um, I think that could be Chong or Barkley. I think to, to see Chong in that number 10 on his own, up closer to Morris and Eli could be really exciting. And then it gives the Conger and the Camber themselves just to sort of just, just to hold, to hold it and probably would allow the wing backs to get up more freely as well, right? Cause you've got two, two holding mids there as well. Um, so I, I just have an inkling that that might be what we, what we do. Um, if you've not read it yet, Matt Aquino did a great article for our site um, today, if as we're recording this Monday night, but this will probably be watched Wednesday, Thursday, but go and have a look at that. He, he basically mentioned we could do a three four two one as well, where you've got, Two holding, you drop drop a striker and have sort of two tens off off a forwards, um, which is I think is something else that I can see us do as well. That that three four two one. Um, so no, I think it's a, it's a good sign and it, it gives us options in 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 what we can do tactically going forwards. And we'll now move on to two players that have departed. Contracts have been not ripped up. I think ripped up sounds a little bit harsh, but there's been a mutual decision. Uh, Glenn Ray and Matt Macy, uh, Glenn Ray, um, good friend, good friend of the show. Um, seeing many times um, supporting the Hatters, and, and that's one thing that will never die with him. I think we'll continue to see him in the in the away ends, and, and definitely at Kenworth Road too. Um, sad to see him go, but but I think a good opportunity for him now to to go and play regular football again. And it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Matt Macy, of course, things haven't really worked out for him and, and the fact that we've been promoted to the Premier League as well has really sort of damaged his chances of getting in and really staking a claim. Um, of course, he had that decent uh, loan spell at Portsmouth Then Portsmouth recruited a, another decent goalkeeper in the summer, which blocked his way there. Also be interested to see what level um, he'll find himself at. Then we'll rush through the loan, um, loan departures I think the big one, Alan Campbell got into Millwall on loan and um, there was a lot of talk as to whether or not he would go or not. Um, a player that hasn't really been able to break through into Rob Edwards' thinking since Edwards has become manager, showing a lot of positive glimpses during his Luton career so far, but hasn't been able to progress very much under Edwards. The other one was Louis Watson, who went to Cholton on loan. And um, I think before recent events, that that looked a lot more of an attractive move. But the fact that Cholton are without a manager um, spurs a little bit of doubt in my mind about whether that will, will work out for him. And I think he's the one that you want to really integrate into the squad into the future. So I think I would have thought there would have been a bit more care into that one. Um, and then rounding it off with Admiral Musquay, who heads out to Exeter on loan, and Dion Pereira, who goes to Sutton United on loan. Just looking at those, any of them there that surprise you? Any of them um, that are either gone to a division or a club that you're not too sure on? Or do you think there's any there that, that sort of makes perfect sense? Yeah, I mean, Alan Campbell's a Rottweiler, like, isn't he? He's like, he's he's... Just, I love Alan Campbell and I don't like Millwall, but he is absolutely a, a Millwall centre mid. Just the way he plays, he's relentless. He runs and runs and runs. And Millwall are a sort of club that are very heavy metal in terms of like just hard working and don't want to say a bit like Luton in the in the way we play, but just just tactically they are fairly similar. Um, so I think it's a great one for him and and for us. I mean, if we do go down. Um, and he has a good season and he, he comes in and he's going to be one of the top championship midfielders and he's going to be ours still. Um, so that's a great loan for the club and for him. What about you, Kieran? Any any of them that 
doesn't really work out in your head something that you can't quite put your finger on or, or do you agree that all four there have gone to places where they can progress and potentially get themselves back into contention at Luton at a later date? I think for me, the only there's two out of four that stick out in Watson and Campbell that are two that potentially, depending on where we are next season, are going to be well in with sort of being in with the team. Like Especially if we go back down, Campbell and Watson, for me, could actually make up a start in midfield, potentially. Campbell, Watson, Nakamba. There's a lot of rotation that can go really well there, actually. And I remember sort of talking about Louis Watson a few weeks ago and I sort of said like Derby would have been a really good loan move for him. So the fact he's gone to Charlton isn't too dissimilar. Sort of a club that do want to push up the top end of League One now. I mean, they're currently managerless, like you said. That's a bit of a sticky one there, but you never know how that's going to end up. There's Harry Eistead there as well, so there's a bit of familiarity. But I think Watson, good club to go to in Charlton. Campbell, Millwall, Jamie's already touched on it. What an incredible match. That is, I don't think we could have matched into a better club to go out on loan to. Um, and it does pay me to say that he is a Millwall type player because I can I can respect Millwall enough to know that he is going to be unbelievable for them and they're going to fall in love with him. And it's going to hurt a little bit if we stay up because I think that then if we stay up and he has a good year with them, then it's like, a, all right, you're kind of giving your toys to the less fortunate, you know, but... <laughs> It is what it is. Um, as for Musque and Pereira, I think both of their loan moves, especially more Pereira, actually, the fact that that's a League Two loan, I think it's a, uh, all right, thanks for your contribution. We'll keep you on the books for a year, but we're going to get to next summer and they're going to be, we're going to be having the same conversations about them that I think we were having about Ray and Macy this summer, which is, all right, it's it's probably all time to move on. Um if Pereira was going to be any higher level, he wouldn't have gone to Sutton, quite frankly. I mean, the statement didn't really paint a great picture in it that he agreed to go on a loan deal. Um, it wasn't exactly painted in a great light. Um, as for Musque, yeah, League One's probably his level. Exeter need a striker because Nombe is gone and he's gone to Rotherham, if I'm not mistaken is a really good move um and it also means that Nombe doesn't score against us in the cup so thank god for that um but yeah i think that's a decent move in itself but again don't be surprised if come the end of the season exeter have agreed a fee between us and musque or if his deals up in the summer they can have him so i mean he's he's not getting in fourth fifth sixth choices sayonara mate Let's finish off with looking at the upcoming international break. We are going to have five hatters potentially involved. We've got Chidoze Ogbené, who's been selected for Ireland. They've got interesting games against France and the Netherlands. We've also got Amari Bell, who has, well, for, for years now, has been part of that Jamaica team, been a central part of that Jamaica team and he will be going back out to represent the reggae boys. Uh, Pelly Ruddock has been called up to the DRC um, and Issa Kabore being called up to Burkina Faso and finally Thomas Kaminsky has been called up to Belgium. The one disappointment has to be Tom Lockyer who's had to withdraw from the Welsh squad because of a thigh injury. Um, hopefully nothing too severe and he can be back ready firing for Luton when we play Fulham. But that brings us to the end of today's episode. A big thank you to the pair of you for joining and a big thank you to everybody that's been watching or listening. Um, we'll be back next week where we preview Fulham, hopefully a first three points or if not a first point of the season. Um, we all know what happened last time at Craven Cottage, so uh, that, I promise you that'll be the only time we mention that 7 0 loss. We won't mention it next episode. We've Well, yeah, I say that now, I forget about that. But, but let's, let's try and stay positive. Anyway, it's goodbye from us, and we'll see you. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.